Church, let's, let's not say amen. Let's sit down and let's continue worshiping God in this place. There's deep truths in the scripture. And scripture is what drives everything we do at Church Project. If you're a first-time guest, we hope that you have a Bible in front of you. If you do not, feel free to grab one on the lamp over on your right or on your left. We're going through Luke chapter 23, verses 30, uh, 26 through 31. We're going through five verses today. And as we move forward, our prayer is that God will show you how powerful he is in this place, and especially in the passage that we're looking at today. You know, I was a youth pastor for a lot of years. Had, had big youth ministries down in Texas. And, and have you ever been in a room with a lot of high school students? I mean, there's a lot of energy just automatically when you get a bunch of high school students in a room. But especially when you get a bunch of high school students in a room that, that are worshiping or, or running after God, there's a lot of energy that happens. And one of the things I miss, quite honestly, about being a youth pastor is that when life change starts happening in the life of a student, whether it's a, a female or a male, they're not smart enough to know that you're supposed to hide it from the world. Like, they're, they're not callous enough to know that that's not really proper to be so happy and to cry and to let it be seen. Like, when you see life change in high schoolers, you see life change in high schoolers. They're not ashamed to, to cry, to lift their hands. They're not ashamed to say what God has done and is continuing to do in their life. But yet, church, when, when did that happen? I mean, think back in your life. When did it happen where you realize, oh, I need to be a little more reserved? Like, God, I love you. And maybe it's your personality, and I'm not, say, I'm not saying it's always going to be an outward thing that, that you're just crying and life, is, uh, life change is happening and people see it around you. But I do want to ask us, church, is God infecting your life? Is he changing your life? It should come out in our heart. It should come out in our hands. It should come out in our words and what we do and how we say and how we live. And church, if you just need permission, here's your permission. It's okay to be a little crazy in this place. It's okay to show that God is changing who we are. Let's not be so reserved. Let's not be so politically correct. Today, as we're getting into this passage, I think God is going to show us something for each and every one of us that will greatly impact our life. Before we get into that, I do want to make two great, great big announcements, and Weston's already made them. Here they are again, okay? Our start class. Maybe you've been coming here for a little while, and, 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 but you don't know where we've come from. You don't know what we're about or even what God's asked us to do as a church. So our start class is in two weeks. It's February 22nd. And we're asking everyone to go online and sign up. Why? Because we order really good food. And we want to know who's going to be there. And we're also going to have child care. But I, I would say this. If you've never been to a start class, even if you've been coming to Church Project for a while, this is going to be a very good thing to sign up to find out where we came from, who we are, where we're going, and how you as the church can get involved in the movement of what God's doing here. So there's that. And then next weekend, my, my good friend, Dr. Chris McAllister, is, is flying in, and he is a specialist in marriage. Uh, and so he's going to come, and he's going to give us a message right along with February 14th on marriages. And, and so why do I say this at the beginning of this message? I say this because I can think of a couple people in my life that need to come and work on their marriage, and me, <laughs> including my own. And so uh, 
if you have people in your life that aren't coming to church, maybe they're Christians or not, invite them to come because Chris McAllister is going to give us some great tools on how to have better marriages, and he's going to put things in our hands that we can work on as we move on past next week. So church, already be praying about who can you invite to come and learn about how to have better marriages. Uh, There's a lot of people in this world that, that can do that. So there's the two announcements. Let's get on with the message today. Luke chapter 23 Verses 26 through 31 is what we're going to look at. We're looking at five verses today. Let's read through it and see what God may have for us. As they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people, And of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and thy breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things, When the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Let me pray for us. God, I pray that in this passage right here, that your truth will impact our life. That God, your Holy Spirit will be moving in this place and teaching and guiding every single one of us. Church, if you would right now, just pray for me. Pray that my words would be from the Holy Spirit and God today. It's your name we pray. Amen. So we look at this, and you say, what is going on? Let's, let's look at verse 26. If you've been following along, we've been going through Luke for a long time. We're nearing the end of Luke, and so I'm excited as, as we're already praying and thinking about the next book we're going to start studying. But as we look at verse 26, it talks about Simon of Cyrene. And Simon, Simon of Cyrene is a pilgrim. And he's coming into Jerusalem during this time. He's on a pilgrimage coming in into Jerusalem. Why is he coming into Jerusalem? Well, this is the the huge time of feasts and festivals. And so Simon is coming in to celebrate the Passover. And he comes in contact with Jesus. And we looked last week as Jason just wonderfully gave a great message about the first 25 verses of this chapter about Jesus and what he was going through. And and so at this point in Luke, we see Jesus has already been condemned guilty even though he was innocent. He had an unfair trial. And they were already saying, stone the man who does not need to be stoned. And so Jesus is walking through the street. He's already been beaten. He's already been flogged. He's already been spit on. You can read some of the other synoptic gospels to see how they've been treating Jesus at this point. So Simon, coming in from the wilderness, happens to intersect his life with Jesus at this point. I want to ask you in your life, have you ever been out in the wilderness, out in the country? on a pilgrimage, coming in to celebrate something and your life has intersected Jesus? Have you ever been to that point where you're walking and your day is normal and then suddenly you see your Savior, you see the man bleeding, barely able to walk, carrying a cross, intersecting and saying, that's my Savior, that's my Jesus? See, the world that that we know, especially the religions we know, 
say that in order to be a God, you've got to be all powerful and almighty, and the world's got to bow its face and serve you. And here we see Jesus, and what's he doing? The, actimate, the, uh, the ultimate act of servanthood. He's bleeding on our behalf. He's getting spat on, by, on our behalf. He's walking. He can barely walk on our behalf. And this is the king that we serve. He's dying and he's serving us. Tell me another religion in the world where, where the head honcho, God, is serving the ones that he created. And this is what we find in Christianity, and this is what we find, and this is what Simon finds as he comes in to this place, and he encounters Jesus, who's exhausted. He's been beaten, he's been whipped, he's tired, he's hungry, and all because the Roman soldiers found him guilty. All because people found him guilty and accused him of things that he was not guilty of. So Simon's walking, and the Roman soldiers, I don't know if they grabbed him or what they did, but it says that they, they told him, Simon, to carry the cross. Now, the cross, if you've seen it, is, is vertical and horizontal. A lot of theologians and scholars and historians will say that, that at this point, they weren't actually carrying the whole cross. It was just the horizontal beam that Jesus was carrying through the streets. And as he was carrying it, he was already so exhausted and tired and worn out that he couldn't even carry that beam. And so it looks like for a moment here that the Roman soldiers have, are they're having pity on him. They're saying, okay, he's too tired. Let's get someone else to do it and to carry the cross for him. But remember, in reality, what's happening? They're having pity on him. Why? So they can get him to the cross. They can get him to the hill, and they can crucify him. The ultimate act of just humiliation. To have Jesus die on the street would not be humiliating enough. So we need to have Jesus alive to the point where we can put him on the cross and we can publicly display his nakedness and we can publicly display that we're in charge and he is not in charge. So Simon, carry his cross so we can get him and do it up there where everyone else can see him. The Roman soldiers are having pity on him only to get him to the cross. Why are they finding him so guilty? This man that has performed miracles, this man of love and peace, why are they finding him so guilty? During this time, there's a thing that was implemented by Augustus or Octavon, and it is called the Pax Roma. Pax Roma means the peace of Rome. And that means... For 200 years, there's a time of this that's going to be peace, and it was just implemented in, in the, the year 27 B.C., this Pax Roma. And so anyone that was going against the peace of Rome was the enemy. And Jesus, as he is getting more people following him, Romans are saying he's going against the peace of Rome. He is our enemy. And because of that, because Jesus was going against the peace of Rome in their eyes, they said he's guilty of not keeping the peace. And so as an example, because of thieves would go and, and they would get hung on the cross, anyone mounting an insurrection would go and they would get hung on the cross, anyone um, guilty of murder, anyone against any kind of peace of Rome during this time would would be crucified. Crucifixion is the cruelest form of punishment. This makes the death last longer. It's the surest outcome. 
that anyone against Caesar would die a humiliating death because they're against the Pax Roma, the peace of Rome. So we see the soldiers here grab Simon, say, you carry his cross so we can humiliate Jesus on the hill. We get to verse 27. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. Notice that a great multitude of people are following Jesus. Why? Why, why are so many people following Jesus? Well, Jeremy and I had a chance this week to kind of get away, to go away and, and dream about um, what God may have for a church project, to plan, help plan some of the things that we have going on. And so as we were away, we're on the West Coast, and we're, and we're driving down the road, and, and, and we don't really know much about what's going on, and, and we're driving our little rental car, and we look up, and we see uh, the, the Firestone, or the Goodyear Blimp, right? The Goodyear Blimp. And both of us go... There's the Goodyear blimp. Wow, that's, that's big. And we ask stupid questions about the Goodyear blimp because we don't really know about it. And well, what's going on? And we start saying, why is this Goodyear blimp here? We've never seen the Goodyear blimp. And we realize pretty soon that we start seeing signs for, uh, what's that? What's the golf? Torrey Pines? Torrey, Torrey Pines Golf Course. And so we, we pull into Torrey Pines <clears throat> because if you know Jeremy, he likes to do crazy things, and they usually work out. And so we're thinking, man, Jeremy, because he just has the favor of God on his life for something, we're going to end up getting into Torrey Pines for free, because that's just what happens. And so we pull in, and, and there's, there's a lady directing, you know, a police officer directing traffic right, right there. There's the entrance. We can see lines of people as professional golfers are doing their thing. And, you know, we pull up, acting like we know what we're doing, and eventually she says, no tickets, no entry. Hey, it was a good try. Jeremy didn't get us in. <laughs> Strike one, okay? So we, we pull out, and we didn't get in, but we thought, oh, that's pretty cool. We, we go downtown San Diego, and we're just kind of eating, and, and on the screen, we can see um, the golf tournament happening. And during this golf tournament, that we, don't see, we, don't, we can't hear any words, but we can kind of read them because it's loud in there. We see Tiger Woods, the famous golfer, and what's he doing? He's withdrawing from the tournament. And it shows him walking to the parking lot, which is weird. It was kind of awkward how long the cameras followed Tiger Woods. And we didn't know what was happening, but he was withdrawing. And he walks to the parking lot, and it shows him taking off his shoes and reporters everywhere. And it shows his, his car, you know, they're putting his golf clubs in. It shows him getting in. It shows him backing up with the car still, the hood still open or the, the trunk still open. They shut it. And so it's showing this awkward, long thing. And there's mobs of people following Tiger Woods as, as he is withdrawing. And then you know who we see? The, the, the lady backing her up is the lady that was right there telling us you can't get in. So we're thinking, man, if we'd have just been 15, 20 minutes later, maybe we'd have encountered Tiger Woods. And I, I'm thinking, that would have been awesome. What could we do? We could, you know, follow him or say hi or, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't really know much about golf, but Tiger Woods, I, I know who he is. And there was so much uh, uh, movement around this time. And, and I actually wanted to be there too. And I don't know why. But that, that's kind of, it was the place to be, and the TV was showing it. Have you ever been in that place where it's the place to be, and, and it's, it's crowded, and, and there's energy, and you don't even know about golf, but you want to be there, and you, you want to maybe just drive down the interstate and wave at Tiger Woods or ram him or something. Like, have you ever been there? And we look at this time, and Jesus, he, he was just 
the crowd had just turned against him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And now they're crucifying him. And he's walking through the streets. He's already been beat. He's already been spat upon. And crowds are still following him. Why are the crowds following him? Some of them, I imagine, they were full of pity and they were full of sorrow. But Jesus was getting treated this way. Some of them, they were probably curious. That would have been me running into Tiger Woods, just curious. Like, I don't know anything about you, but I'm curious. Some of them, they, they were probably mourning. And, and they didn't even know who he was, but they were mourning. that Just any human being would be going through this horrific thing. And there's multitudes of people following Jesus. Look at verse 28. But turning to them, these weepers, the people that are lamenting, but turning to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. Which, by the way, if you refer to um, Hosea 10.8 or Revelations 6.16, it talks about this as well, the mountains falling on them. And in verse 31, for if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Jesus looks at the multitude, the people that are following and say, do not weep for me. And the man that is exhausted to the point that he cannot even carry his cross beam, his horizontal beam that someone else has to carry, has enough concern for humanity and for the people there that he's like, don't weep for me. And he issues a warning and he issues a heart. And we see the heart of Jesus shining through in this moment because if Jesus would be anything like me, when I get sick, I turn into a baby. Ask Lauren. I need a bell. If I, like if I have a headache, if I stub my toe, the last thing I'm thinking is I'm going to serve my wife or my family. I'm selfish. Any of you like that? My tummy hurts. If I get a, if I get a little sick or a little inconvenience, forget you guys. Forget being the pastor of the church and putting on a front. Like, no, uh Forget that. Like, if I get sick, it's about you serving me. And here's Jesus. He's so exhausted. He can't even carry his beam. And what's he doing? What's the heart of our Savior doing at this point? He's doing the same thing that he does for us every single day, our entire life. He's saying, I love you. I serve you. Fully human. Fully bleeding. Fully experiencing pain. And his heart reaches out to people moments before his death. This is the father that I serve. This is the savior that I love. This is the heart of Jesus that that I want to have, church. We see him reaching out and serving those there. They're lamenting. And why are they lamenting? For a very real sense, they're lamenting for worldly sorrow. I mean, this is a sad thing going on, and they don't even understand. And they're lamenting. And Jesus says, don't be lamenting for what you're seeing happen to me. Don't be crying and weeping for what you're seeing happen, happening to me. Weep 
Not for this shell of a human body, but weep for what's about to happen, the destruction of Jerusalem. Weep for that. If you think back to Luke chapter 19 and 41, 19 verse 41, what do we see? We see Jesus entering Jerusalem and what's he doing? He begins weeping for Jerusalem, knowing that the destruction is going to happen in Jerusalem. And he's looking at everyone mourning, and he's saying, don't mourn because my physical body is dying. Mourn because the destruction of Jerusalem is about to fall. While they were weeping over the death of one man, Jesus was looking ahead to the justified destruction of a whole nation, which is Israel. They were living in the temporal He was living in the eternal. All they saw was one man dying. And Jesus was opening up to the eternal truth of what was taking place in front of their eyes. Don't weep for me. Weep for what's about to happen to the nation of Israel. Weep for the Jewish nation as they reject the grace of God in their life. Because that's the destruction As a pastor, I've been able to do a good amount of funerals. I've done funerals of of all different ages. Funerals, I would rather do funerals any day over weddings. So weddings are hard to do for me. Everything's got to be just right. But funerals, you, you get to enter into the point where it's just incredibly sad and there's a lot of sorrow happening and you get to speak a little bit of life and it's almost like you can do nothing wrong in that place because you're there just serving the family but the saddest funeral I ever did was of an individual that was not a Christ follower how could I stand up and issue any like hope for someone that had perished on this earth and never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ did not have hope was the saddest funeral I've ever had to do. I hope I never have to do another one of those. Because the person in their life had rejected the grace of God in their life, and they had never encountered the full love that we sing about every week here, that many of you have experienced. It's the grace of God in our life. How many of you deserve to go to heaven? Raise your hand. (laughs) We've all messed up. We all sin. And Jesus is dying this horrific death and saying, it's my grace that covers over you. I defeat death and I love you. And even as I'm walking to the cross and even as I can't even carry the weight of this, I'm reaching out to you saying, don't wait for me because I've got to go through this for humanity to issue my grace to humanity at large. Church, this is the Christ that we serve. We continue to look in verse 28 and 31. Jesus is saying there's going to be a time when, when Hosea 10.8 is fulfilled. Jerusalem's citizens, particularly the women, will seek refuge. And even in the res- refuge of death caused by a mountain toppling on them would be better than facing the Roman armies as they destroyed Jerusalem. And Jesus is speaking into this. And then we get to the very complicated verse, verse 31. And I'd encourage you to go study verse 31 this week. It talks about green wood and dry wood. And this refers to, it has the implication of this statement, is that all hope rests in the green tree of Jesus on Calvary. 
in Jesus himself. Not in a new political leader, not in a new religious priest, not in an all-powerful Roman government. The hope of the world is right there, freshly being crucified. And what happens when his memory begins to fade to society? We begin to say this, I put my hope in the government. I put my hope in health and wealth and prosperity. I put my help in, and we start naming all these things. And Jesus is saying, I am right here, and I am the hope of the world. Church, do you put your hope in Jesus Christ? Do you put your trust in Jesus Christ? So let's look at these five verses just all together right here as as the topic of these five verses. What's amazing to me is that Jesus is not focused on the cross itself. Jesus is focused on the great implications and the impact of the cross. Jesus is not focused on the physical death that he's about to experience. Jesus is focused on the great implications and impact because of the cross. He knows that without the cross, none of humanity is going to be saved. And he's willing to say, crucify me, spit on me, drag me, do whatever you want to me. Because it's not about the cross, it's about the implications and the impact that the cross is going to make throughout all time for all humanity. The pain, the crucifixion, the cross was absolutely necessary to accomplish the will of God. The cross, suffering, is needed in order to overcome sin. This trial is necessary for humanity to know how much Jesus loves him. Church, when you encounter hard times throughout the week, which I'm sure we're all going to encounter hard times this week. As we encounter those hard times, do you have a tendency to focus more on that hard thing or what God may be doing in you and through you through that hard thing? I am a man of comfort. I like my comfort. So when my tummy hurts or when things happen in my life, I am more about that comfort and I can so easily fall into just this temporal attitude of selfishness and worry about that cross or worry about that insignificant thing that's not comfortable and all along forget about what God may be doing in me to grow me. Read the book of James. Read the Bible. It's not about the cross for Jesus. It's about what's happening to humanity through the cross. And the cross has to happen. Church, do you raise and stand and raise your hand and say this? Use me no matter what, God. Grow me no matter what. It's often in those hardest times of life that we grow the most when Jesus shows us how much he loves us. It's not when we're just comfortable sipping you know, a drink on a beach. It's not just that time. It's also in the time when we're on our face crying and begging and calling out to God, saying, God, what are you doing? And I don't understand. The good news of this message today as we look at this is that Jesus is looking at us and he's saying, I have to go through the cross for you. And I think as we look at this as his church, 
we say, God, what am I going to go through in life so I can be more like you? And how will you use this to mature me and to mature the church, to sanctify us, to bring us to be more like him? As you're encountering things this week that are difficult, maybe this message will grab your heart and you'll begin to be encouraged by this. As we watched the Super Bowl last week, maybe some of you saw uh, John 3.16 signs. Did anyone see those? They, they, they still, still hold those up. John 3.16 at the football. Uh, I, I like that. I like that. It's like everyone will go look up John 3.16. It's great. So let, let's quote John 3.16 if you know it. I know it's going to be different because some of us memorized it in different, but here you go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Amen. Amen. Can we continue? John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus goes through this for us. Calls out to humanity saying, will you believe me? Are you following me just because it's popular? Just because you're curious? Who do you say that I am? Look how much that I love you. And will you call out my name? Church, I'm going to leave us with this today. I'm going to trust that in the, the vagueness of these five verses that the Holy Spirit will be speaking to you specifically what he wants to show you today. Maybe some of us, as we're reading these, these verses right here, God is just prodding our heart, saying, you know what? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? God is pursuing us. He's running after us. Have you called out to Jesus, saying, Jesus, I am yours. I'm fully surrendered to you. Maybe what God is showing you through these verses right here is how much he loves you, how much he suffered on behalf, for us, what he's gone through. Maybe he's showing you that what you're going through right now is not as difficult as you think. And that he's using that very thing, that thing that's just not comfortable and won't go away. He's using that very thing in your life to show you how much he loves you, to mature you, to grow you. So I'm going to ask us, if you would, in this place, just close your Bibles and let this time be a time of reflection. Everyone has an opportunity to respond to God in here, and I'm not sure how you will continue to worship God. But my prayer is that you would be honest with yourself and you'd be honest with God. If you're comfortable with it, just hold out your hands in front of you just in a, a posture, a body posture of humility with your palms up. It's hard to fight with our palms up in front of us. And so don't fight in this place with, with God. 
Say, God, here I am. I receive anything that you want to show me. God, would you please speak to me? And as we sit in this place, we meditate on the love of God. We meditate on his scripture. And his Holy Spirit is, is moving in us. When he speaks to you, would you respond? Maybe it's been a while since we really thought about what Jesus, the man, Jesus went through on our behalf as he marched to the cross. And even in that agony of that moment and the exhaustion, the tiredness of that moment, he still looks out at humanity and says, don't weep for me, don't weep for me. I have to go through this. Imagine that. That's our Savior. That's the heart of our Savior that we serve. Maybe just thank him for that. And I can almost guarantee that every single one of us as we sit here, there's things in life that we're going through that are difficult. Would you lower your pride and put that in your hand and say, God, here it is. This worry, this pain, this frustration. Would you please take it from me, God? I, I'm not strong enough to hold this. Like, God, here it is. I've carried this burden, this weight for too long. Here it is. I trust God that you're going to do amazing things with this. Here it is because I've proven that I'm just going to continue to hold on to this thing and, and feed it this frustration, this addiction, whatever it may be. God, here it is. God, your grace is enough to take all the wrong in my life and you can continue to love me and show me that love. God, here it is. Here's my life, my words, my actions. What's God showing you, church? What he's showing you and what he's speaking to you right now is that he loves you and that he's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our praise. So in this place, let's worship him. We can worship him through prayer as you sit there and continue to meditate and talk with him. You can worship him through taking communion on your back right and, and go whenever you're ready. And take a piece of the cracker and dip it in the grape juice. And the cracker that represents his body that was humiliated. Bruised and broken for us. His blood that was spilled continually on the road and on the way to the cross. That's what he did for us. And we take communion to remember that. To thank him. Maybe you'll worship him through our, your offerings on both sides of the room. Maybe you can worship him through standing and, and using your words to just sing praises to him. But church, in this place, let's worship him. He's King Almighty. 
sacrificed everything for humanity and let's bring it down to the simplest form. He sacrificed everything for you. He loves you. He's greater than anything you're going through. His grace is sufficient. Will you call out and worship his name today?